In Luke chapter 24, there are two disciples that are walking along the road and they meet Jesus and in their conversation with Jesus, he speaks to them and he's, he begins to tell them and Luke records for us that Jesus tells them how all of the law and prophets point to him. They all point to Jesus and point to Christ and who he is and what he's done on our behalf. And so today I, I want to bring us to Leviticus 23 and remind us that, that even Leviticus, even this book that you and I may have not been excited about coming to is about Jesus. And I have prayed that we would see him and celebrate him today. I didn't read the entire chapter or have it read for us this morning because it is just a calendar. It really literally walks through the calendar of the Israelite people. And so I want you to walk through it with me. So please take your Bible and open with me to Leviticus chapter 23. My goal would be at the end of our time, excuse me, the end of our time together here, you and I would be able to see how Jesus fulfills the entire celebratory calendar of the Jews. You have seen with me that in Leviticus, in this Old Testament law, there are a couple of things that have been set apart as holy, and Jesus fulfills all of them. For example, there were special, uh, uh, there were special actions that the people took. We talked to them, uh, talked with each other about them as sacrifices, and so all of the sacrifices were holy to the Lord, and they were special instructions to the people. There are animals, and then there are these animals that we're going to give to God. They have to be year old, without blemish. They're, they belong to God. There are... Um, there are uh, uh, breads and loaves of bread, and then there are really loaves of bread that belong to God, and we worship Him with special loaves of bread. And we saw even then how Jesus is that one sacrificial lamb. He is the bread of life, and so He fulfilled the special actions have been accomplished in Christ. We saw, hopefully last week you were here and you heard where the priesthood is set apart, leaders set apart in the nation of Israel for God. And then we think about the book of Hebrews and how Jesus is our high priest. He is that. So in Him we are all that holy, set apart priesthood. So that He says you're a nation of priests, even as New Testament believers. And we find that as we're in Christ, as He has fulfilled the priesthood for us. That's why you don't come here and and you don't pray through a priest anymore. God, through His own Son Jesus, fulfilled the entire priesthood through Jesus. And we, in Him, are holy like they were. Today in chapter 23, we talk about special times, special feasts, and they are special days that are holy and set apart. So they would have a whole calendar like you and I will. But they had special days, special festivals and feasts that these are high holy days. And I want you to see today, in the same way that the sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ, the priesthood was fulfilled in Christ, these special days are fulfilled in Christ. In Leviticus chapter 23, there are seven such festivals or holy days, and Jesus fulfills each of them. I want to remind you as we come through this calendar, the Jewish nation was on a lunar calendar. So when you read, when we go over in five of chapter 23 and you read in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight, you'll remember with me that their lunar calendar started with the full, or excuse me, with the new moons. And so their first month was somewhere around our March, April. 
And so don't think that they were January through December. Their months were different from ours. So the first month on a lunar calendar is somewhere in March and April. We celebrate our Easter around that same time now. That's why Easter moves around for us so much. So I want to walk through these seven festivals. If I could just tell you, here's here's what I'd like for us to do in the next couple of minutes. Walk through the seven festivals, come back, show how Jesus fulfills them, and then make real brief application to our lives. So, begin with me in verse 3. Stay with me as we go through this. You'll see seven festivals with me. Verse 3, the first festival is the Sabbath. It is the one that you are probably most familiar with. You know about the Sabbath. This is the sixth day, or excuse me, the seventh day of the week. Verse 3, six days shall work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. I want you to notice a couple of things here. The Sabbath is the most often celebrated festival. But it is included when God gives Moses the instruction in verses 1 and 2. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. The Sabbath is the first that he mentions. It is the one that's celebrated weekly. It is rooted in creation. God said this, six days you shall work, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest. And so it's rooted in creation. Notice here he also says you're to give rest You'll find in Numbers 28 and 29 when these are addressed again that you shall give rest not only to yourself, you're to give rest to all in your household. You're not to require the other people that are in your household to work either. And so you rest, you give rest to others. It's celebrated weekly that you and I know that we need to just stop and rest. I want you to note in verse 3, because we're going to go all the way through this text, two common Uh, factors in every one of these feasts. Two common factors. Look at verse 3 with me. The end, uh, excuse me, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, you shall do no work. There are two characteristics of all of these that I will mention here, maybe mention as we go through, but you shall do no work. It is a time of rest. You are to stop and say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to work these six days, and I'm going to trust you not to work the seventh. I give you my life. I give you my finances. I give you my time. I'm going to trust you that I can make it on what you've said. I'm going to give you a day every week as a place, as a time that I just physically, really, reality sets in to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. So I'm not going to do any work here because I'm going to worship you. That's the second second. Uh, characteristic of the Sabbath. They are to do a holy convocation. This is a worship service. They come together for the express purpose of setting themselves apart and worshiping God. And both of those are characteristic of the Sabbath. They're going to be characteristic of all of the other six feasts as well. Let's move, if we can, a little quicker. Passover and unleavened bread, verses 5 through 8. On uh, verse 5, in the first month, on the fourth day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. The next day, verse 6, on the 15th day is the Feast of Bread, and that is a feast that lasts for seven days. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, we've been there multiple times as a church, so I'll just mention it. The Passover is instituted there as the Lord brings His people Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. He has given all of these plagues, and the tenth plague is, I am going to death on those who have you in bondage. I'm going to kill those who are keeping you in bondage and I'm going to 
free, but I'm going to protect you from the death angel. And so I want you to slaughter a lamb. I want you to put the blood over the doorpost. And when the death angel comes to bring my judgment, then he will pass over you. And so that's where the Passover is instituted. God gives uh, the people instruction on the 10th day of the month. You're to take a male lamb into your home. On the 14th day, you're to slaughter that, that lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. And I will know when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. And so they were to kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. Then they were to have to share a meal. The unleavened bread, the next day here in Israel's calendar, the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts, and for seven days they um, celebrate together. The unleavened bread is simply this. It is a prim- primarily a sign of two things. First, the people of God were in a hurry. God said, you don't have time to leaven your bread. You don't have time for it to rise. So I want you to cook unleavened bread. I want you to eat it in a hurry because I'm fixing to get you out of here and it's going to be a quick move. And so you eat unleavened bread to know that God, it's a sign. God is going to move and we don't have time to wait. He is going to do it in the night. He's going to take us out. Second thing, leaven then becomes a sign of sin. Once again, in the New Testament, leaven is used as get the leaven out. The unleavened bread was holy bread. And so leaven in bread was just a sign of sin. And so they would celebrate here God's deliverance in the Passover and God's wonder in the Feast of Unleavened Bread of taking them out of the land. And so on the 14th day of the first month, this would be somewhere around March or, or, excuse me, March or April, and then for seven days, March uh, on the 15th day through the 21st day, they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It would all end on the 21st day in a holy convocation. And they were to do no work, and they were to worship God together. So that is the Passover and unleavened bread. That's the Sabbath, Passover. There's seven of them. Verse 9, the Feast of first fruits On the day after the Sabbath, so go with me here, 14th day, Passover. 15th day started the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the Sabbath. On the day after the Sabbath, that's the Sunday of the week. So if Passover's on Friday, Sabbath was on Sunday, excuse me, Saturday, Sunday was the Feast of First Fruits. Verse 11, on the, on the day after the Sabbath, it was common practice. Passover on Friday, Feast of Unleavened Bread began on Saturday, Feast of First Fruits was on Sunday. They were to come and they were to wave a sheaf. A sheaf. Some of you will remember singing a hymn, bringing in the sheaves. Comes from this picture in Leviticus, the Feast of the First Fruits. This would have been in March and April. You would have been at the beginning of a barley harvest. And so the first bundle of that barley they would grain, they would tie it up and they would bring it in. They would actually do a wave offering, giving it to the Lord. They would take that, the very first fruit, give it to the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord, for providing. You have given us life because you've given us a harvest. And so March, April began the harvest of barley for them. So they would wave the sheaf before the Lord and it belonged to the Lord. In verses 12 through 14, there are certain sacrifices prescribed for this feast of first fruits. I'll just make mention here in Numbers 28 29, all of the sacrifices that are given in these feasts are going to be given to you. So you may want to look there sometime in the future. Verse 15, the Feast of Weeks. Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits, they were to count seven weeks. If you look at it in verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. So we were in March and April, 
Now we're going to jump forward to May or June, the end of May, sometime in June. This was the end of the barley harvest. So they were to count 50 days, and they were going to have another feast, and it's the Feast of Weeks. In the New Testament, we'll get there in a minute, but you need to know that this feast is called Pentecost. In Greek, the word penta means 50. And so it, Pentecost is here. This is the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the first fruits, this was they were reaping and praising God for His provision of life for them through reaping in the barley. Verse 23. I'll say this just in passing. Verse 22 says you're not to reap all the way to the edge of your fields. God was still concerned with the poor even in this. Verse 23, the Feast of Trumpets. They were in the seventh month, so now we've jumped all the way to the fall. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, and the seventh month, by the way, becomes an incredibly special month. On the first day of that month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. So they're to do the same thing. You shall do no ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord, and you're to have a holy convocation, a solemn day. And so this is the Feast of Trumpets. You blow a trumpet. What's the significance? Exodus chapter 19, when God's presence shows up on Mount Sinai, the trumpets of God were blowing so that the people were afraid. They heard the trumpets of God indicate the coming of God. As He was coming down to meet, they was, the trumpets of the Lord were blowing. So He says, you'd have a feast of trumpets to know that I am among you represents the presence of God. We could go forward and say some other places in Scripture, but you could probably imagine those times where there's great noise, great trumpet sounding that indicates the coming of the Lord. Verse 26, on the tenth day of the seventh month, first day, solemn rest, blow trumpets. Tenth day, the day of atonement. We've already dealt with this in chapter 16. You might want to put that in your Bible. Relook at chapter 16. That was the day of atonement. Rest and holy convocation, same thing that we've seen always, except the Day of Atonement required one other thing. You were to afflict yourself. This is the one feast where you are to fast. All the other ones, this feast, it is important that you fast. You afflict yourself, the Bible says. You abstain from any eating. And he says two things in this Day of Atonement feast that you need to be aware of. First, He doesn't use the word for ordinary work. In all of these, he says, you are to abstain from any ordinary work. On the Day of Atonement, he says, you're to abstain from any work. There's to be no work. Look at verse 28 with me. You shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the Day of Atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord. Look at verse 30. Whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. God is serious about this is a day that's not only any ordinary work, it's no work. He's also serious about this. You are to afflict yourselves. Look at verse 29. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. This is serious stuff on this day of atonement. And so this is the day that God says, I'll provide atonement covering for your sin. Now verse 33, the feast of booths. The feast of booths. This is our last one. Verses 33 through 43 talks about the Feast of Booze. This is on the 15th through the 22nd day of the seventh month. It is an eight-day celebration. Verse 34, on the 15th day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booze to the Lord. On the first day, 
you shall be shall be a holy convocation. For seven days you shall, verse 36, for seven days you shall present food and offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. These are the days that the people were to celebrate what God was doing. So what do we do with these? Let me mention this to you about the Feast of Booths first. They were staying in booths. They were staying in tents. They were for seven days they were to stay in tents. Even when they get into the land, you stay in tents so that you remember God brought us out of Egypt through the wilderness. He made us sojourners. We stayed in tents and then He brought us to the promised land. It was a time where they would go out. Even in the New Testament, when you get to the first century in Jesus' time, when they were celebrating this Feast of Booths, they would go out to the, the, uh, uh, the sea, uh, the pool of Siloam, and bring water in to the city, into the temple. And the water was in this feast, a, a big thing that celebrated uh, the blessing of our God among the people. If you think about uh, Ezekiel 47 and seeing the temple during the Feast of Booths, there was a water, uh, Ezekiel had a vision of water flowing out from the temple, the blessing of God. In Zechariah 14, which was a passage that they often read during the Feast of Booths about the day of the Lord, it uh, mentions there the living waters which will flow from Jerusalem and bless the earth. And so the Feast of Booths had to do with water because when they were in the wilderness, what did God do? He provided manna and He provided water from the rock there. So water and bread become a big part of this Feast of Booths and that will be significant as we look at it. But here's the question. What do we do with these special days? Do, what do they mean for us? First, I want to answer this question. Why don't we celebrate them today? Why don't we celebrate them today? If they're in here, and if you read to the end of some of them, it will say this will be a statute for your, throughout your generations. You are to do this. Why don't we do it today? Well, I think the New Testament is pretty clear on this. And so let me show how the New Testament speaks about the law. Two passages. First is Colossians 2. You can turn there. You can just listen. Colossians chapter 2. Paul says this in speaking about these days. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, new moon, or a Sabbath. Listen to this. Paul's instructing us here. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the substance of all of these feasts, including the Sabbath, is Christ. That's why you and I don't worship on Saturdays. Christ is the substance of the rest. He brings rest. So when you get to the Sabbath, you read Hebrews chapter 4, and the author is going to say there is a rest, and it's not going to come through your work. It's going to come through the work of Christ. So by faith, trust in Him, and you can have rest, and it will be an eternal rest. It will be a forever rest in Christ for His glory with Him. Paul says these, the physical days and 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 exercises were just a shadow of the things to come they foreshadowed Jesus which means you and I need to pull two things from that number one if you want to celebrate these you're free to do so but if you don't Paul says don't bring judgment on those who don't because here's the bottom line they all point to Christ and so let's worship Christ as he fulfills all of these Romans 14 says the same thing. It puts these holy days in a category of your opinion. If you desire to honor them, then honor the Lord in them. But if you don't, then don't judge others who do or don't judge others who don't. So after bringing 
Pharisees in verse 10 of Romans 14, Paul says, Do not pass judgment on these matters. It's a matter of the conscience. So that's why we don't celebrate them according to the Old Testament law, because Jesus has fulfilled a shadow pointing to Christ. So let's look at it. Sabbath, we've already mentioned. Very quickly, walk through this with me. The Sabbath, there's a Sabbath rest in Christ. It comes by faith. For Israel, this was a faith test. Here's the test for you. Do you trust Christ? Right? So holiness for you is not, did you do anything that was considered work on the Lord's day? Now, we have transferred a lot of the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. That's why we worship on Sunday. The New Testament believers begin to worship on the Lord's Day. And that Sunday, first day of the week, when He rose. And so that's why we worship today. But the test for you is not, have you done any work today? Will you ever do any work on Sunday? Have you done something that's considered work today? The test for you is, do you take a Sabbath? Is there a time in your life where you step back and say, Lord, I trust you, right? In our salvation, God, through His Son, fulfilled the Sabbath, and He did all the work necessary for you. Can you sit back and say, Lord, there's I can do for my salvation to earn eternal life. I trust you, for you have done it for me. I'm willing to take a Sabbath rest. There's times that you and I will indicate our trust in God by taking those Sabbaths. It doesn't have to be on Saturday. It can be any time that we rest to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. The principle here is trusting God. It's a foretaste of Christ. It's this foretaste. God gives you the ability to take rest. And He says, this is a foretaste of what's to come. How many of you love rest? I've never heard anybody that I've met say, I'm just so rested. Most of the people I talk to say, I'm just so busy. God says, take a Sabbath. Take a rest. Trust me. So, the Sabbath. Secondly, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Christ is our Passover lamb. You know that. I don't have to go through that. How does Christ fulfill the Passover? He is the Passover lamb. If you go with me, I'm not asking you to, but think in your mind. Go later, so write it down. John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, if you remember, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. It was the Passover. John reminds us, this is the Passover. Jesus is teaching. They've all followed him. He says, what are we going to feed them with? You know the miracle. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Down in verse 22, the Bible says, on the next day. What's the day after Passover? Friday was Passover. Saturday's what? Feast of the unleavened bread. On the day after that, Jesus has gone across the sea. They're looking for him. They find him. They come to him. The crowds comes and he begins to teach again. He says, you don't seek me because... You saw what I did and believed. You seek me because I filled your stomachs. But that was temporary. Stop seeking after temporal bread and look for bread that lasts. That's where Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. Church, I told you that Leviticus is going to help our New Testament. If you understand Passover Day after is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On that very day in John's Gospel, Jesus is standing before the people saying, I am the bread. He is that unleavened bread that you and I partake of and we will partake of Him as He delivers us, as He brings us into the promised land and it will be bread that does not run out. It is a satisfying bread in John 6. Now we get to the first fruits. If Friday was the Passover and Jesus is our Passover lamb, if 
Saturday was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and Jesus is the bread of life, well, on Sunday, you should already know where we're going. The Feast of the First Fruits is on that Sunday, and literally during this Passover in the Gospels, Jesus was killed on Friday, the Passover. He was buried on, on Friday night, the, uh, the, the, already started, if you read in Leviticus, down, so literally it was still Friday night, but it had been counted as the Sabbath. He was buried then, he was in the tomb all of that day, and on the third day, which is the feast of the first fruits, Jesus became, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first fruits from the dead, offering himself to the Lord. In fact, Christ has been raised, Paul says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He becomes that first of all of the harvest that you and I have. Now, stay with me. Fifty days after that, what happens? In the book of Acts, you have Peter standing to preach on the day of Pentecost and people hear in their own language. And what happens? We are at the beginning, at the resurrection, the first fruits. At the end of this harvest time, you have Pentecost happening and the harvest really begins. So the harvest for a New Testament Christian is we don't celebrate the barley harvest per se. We celebrate a greater harvest. We celebrate the harvest of souls. When Peter preaches on Pentecost, he sees 3,000 added to the church that day. And then there's preaching that begins. And Jesus had already said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Because the harvest, the fields are white unto harvest. And so we have the Pentecost time coming where we see the harvest is beginning. And you and I, I believe, are in the middle of that harvest time even now. You and I are living in that Feast of Weeks, that Pentecost where the Word is going out and we're seeing the Lord send out harvest and we're seeing Jesus the first fruits, and you and I are part of those fruits. Those who will and have been given by faith salvation and we will return from the dead. Feast of the trumpets. In Exodus 19, the trumpets blasted when God's presence arrives. When Christ returns, what's going to happen? 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, Christ is coming back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Church, the feasts here teach us about what Jesus is doing and who He is. And He is coming. He's coming. What's He going to bring in? The day of the Lord. Oh, what a day that will be for those who know Him. For those who don't, minor prophets teach us it will be a terrible awful day of the Lord. He will come back with a trumpet sound. The day of atonement is the next one. You know Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. And then finally the feast of booths. Celebration had to do with water and God's blessing and water and bread. In John chapter 7, the Bible tells us in verse 2 that this was the last day of the feast of booths. And Jesus says, come to me and drink. Verse 37 of John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, that is the Feast of Booze, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Quoting Zechariah 14. Church, all of these point straight to Christ and how He has acted 
on our behalf and how you, by faith, by trust in Him, can just come and say, Lord, I'm yours. You're my sacrificial lamb. You have died in my place. And I come to you. And I believe. I believe. How do we apply them? First, you come to Christ celebrating who He is and how He's fulfilled them. Secondly, you worship. These are all days of convocation. Church, there are no special days that we only come to worship on these days. Sunday, you hear me say, it is a day that we gather as a church, but it's not the only day of worship. You now don't come to a temple. You are the temple. The Bible says that living water in John 37, John 7, 37, that is the Spirit. God has sent His Spirit to dwell in us. So the living water flows out of you, not just on a Sunday, not just on an Easter or a Christmas, but every day is God's day. And we worship Him continually. We are a holy convocation. That's why Peter says, you are a nation of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You live every day, no matter what you're doing, as the people of God, as Christ. He is making you more like Him. Don't come here to think that you're now in the presence of God. You carry the presence of God by the Spirit of God with you. And you live that holy convocation wherever you are. God doesn't just care about your Sunday morning. He cares about your Monday morning and your Tuesday night and your Wednesday and every day of your week, every moment, every thought. It belongs to the Lord. Jesus has fulfilled them and says, all days, all your actions are mine. So worship Him. Finally, stop. Sometime, set aside regularly to just stop. Say, Lord, I trust you. I'm not going to do anything that I normally do. I'm going to back off and just spend time with you. I would encourage you to do that weekly. When I grew up, that was Sunday for my family. We stopped. We didn't do anything. I had a grandfather that wouldn't even go to eat because he was so serious about Sabbath rest that he on Sunday would not require anybody else to work on his behalf. So he wouldn't even go to eat. Certainly wouldn't go to shop. He wouldn't go anywhere. I'm not saying that we, I don't think that we can make an argument from the New Testament that Sunday is the new Sabbath. And I'm not telling you not to go to eat. What I am telling you is, we are not good at stopping. And just saying, God, we trust you. We need to slow down and take some time And just say, Lord, this is for me to just be before you. Speak, hear, meditate on the word, and slow down. That's how you apply these. Trust Christ. He's the fulfillment of all of them. Worship Him in every part of your life. And take some time intentionally to just stop. And praise and worship and honor and reflect on our God. Do you trust Him enough with all that you are? Or do you really think you're busy and so you have to take care of it? And if you don't, it's all going to crash in. Can I just raise my hand and say, I've been there. I am there. If I don't, it's all going to crash in. And God says, stop. Trust me. 